CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. Uh, this is Free City Radio. Thanks for being with us. We just heard a film, uh, a song, and we will talk about a film on the show, but we heard a song from Damon Davis out of St. Louis uh, from his album Darker Gods. Uh, that uh, piece is called Light Years, a great album uh, from an activist in St. Louis. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. We'll be with you until 11.30, and I'm uh, really happy to be joined in studio today by filmmaker Ariel Nasser. Good morning. Hi, Stefan. How are you? Great. And you? Very well. Thank you. So, uh, Montreal filmmaker biked to the station today. I did. I got my winter tires on. Um, <laughs> I was up early and nice. uh, have already had a good few bike rides, so I'm, I'm ready to go. Right on. So, um, I, I'm familiar... Um, about your work uh, because you did this film called The Long Way Home and I, I, I know that one of the main points of that film is the story of Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik right. um, and so I did want to ask you about that particular project I know you have other films uh, upcoming and there's one uh, traveling around the world right now but if we could talk briefly about the long way home. Obviously, this program talked extensively about uh, Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik's struggle to return to Canada uh, when he was exiled in, in Sudan. Um, it's really exciting to see a film being made about his story. Um, so maybe if you could detail a bit about the film and, and why 
after so many years, it was important to follow through and carry carry forward with that project. Yes, of course, I'd love to. So, you know, it was an interesting opportunity. Um, a friend and I were commissioned by Hot Docs International Documentary Film Festival to do a short about um, uh, a charter rights violation. Okay. And um, uh, to be part of a, an anthology called In the Name of All Canadians, which is uh, still available. It's a, it's a good uh, anthology of films. Um, that's we, available this online, This is available right? online. Yeah, yeah, it's available through Hot Docs. I think it's yeah. available through iTunes. Wow. Um, if okay. you Google it, um, you can you can easily find it online, uh, downloadable. Okay. Um, it may be streaming. I'm not entirely sure. It also played on TVO and the Knowledge Network. Um, so it got out there. It got out there, did That's the good. festival circuit and okay. across Canada um, in a series of special screenings. And um, it was really fun to be part of. Um, my friend Aisha Jamal, who's the other filmmaker on this project, mm-hmm. We um, we sat down to put our heads together to, to think about what um, charter rights violation we wanted to focus on for this film. And we had um, uh, heard um, from uh, through many sources about um, Abdurazik and we wanted to um, uh, to address that story. Now, I think for for both of us, one of the things that really sold it as a story that we needed to tell was something that came up in our research a little bit uh, later on, which was that, you know, many years after, actually, um, Alderazic's return home, um, there was an article published in La Presse. I don't know if you remember this, but there was an article published in La Presse, um, which claimed that, in fact, uh, evidence had surfaced that, in fact, he had planned some kind of elaborate uh, attack, right? That they were the only paper to publish it. No other newspaper in the country touched it. Um, it wasn't picked up, but it was in the in this very mainstream yeah, Quebec newspaper, course. right? The reason no other newspaper touched it is because it was based on uh, a uh, piece of um, highly um, apocryphal hearsay that had been completely dismissed from the federal court case. Um, so, you know, this was, and then this was leaked. Um, to the press by an anonymous leaker. Okay, so this piece of of uh, which wasn't even new, it was something that had been. Dis- it was a piece of hearsay that had been dismissed from the court, uh, was picked up by by la presse and was used to essentially uh, take down Abdurazik again, right? To assassinate his character. Um, so um, you know the injustice of that really struck us. That he had really very little recourse. Now what he ended up doing, of course, what you would do, you take it to court and you sue. Yeah. Um, and in fact, he won that. He, yeah. What happened was he didn't actually win it in court. And this is very typical, right? It's a pattern. Um, it was a settlement out of court with an NDA. So he wasn't allowed to talk about it. Um, non-disclosure. A, yeah, a non-disclosure agreement, and it was CSIS. Uh, the Canadian government that settled with him. So they they felt they had to pay him a lump sum. There was enough evidence that they had to pay him money, Um, but uh, he couldn't talk about it. So in other words, this character assassination happens. There's no recourse. There's no way to retell that story. Once that information is, that misinformation is out there, it's very hard. So it's fake news in the most classic sense. So we wanted to redress that and really tell the whole story. And so we did that in the space of 15 minutes. The challenge was fitting all of that story into such a, a tight package. Um, uh, but uh, I think we, we, uh, we did a good, uh, well, we did our best. So, of course, um, the story of Abdul Razik was um, 
there were accusations from Canadian intelligence service officials uh, about conduct relating to quote-unquote terrorism. These uh, accusations were never proven in court. A lot of the evidence was not disclosed. He was uh, abducted in Sudan by the intelligence service of the Sudanese state. There was a big campaign for him to return. Um, At the same time that in the end, a lot of very mainstream organizations like Amnesty International did support Abdelrazik very forcefully. Um, one point I wanted to bring up with you uh, is the fact that we have a liberal government uh, for the second time under Prime Minister Trudeau. There was quite an effort from the government to um, sort of quash Abdelrazik's efforts in court to appeal for justice. And I'm, I'm bringing this up because as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. um, you did choose to tell Abdelrazik's story quite a few years after, you know, it was on the cover of the Globe and Mail and it was really talked about publicly. So I wanted to ask you what role you think documentary film plays, I mean, in this particular case, but most also in general, in sort of securing our sort of collective knowledge about you know, a case like Abdurazik's where it's very important for people to know what happened. But, you know, this is not, of course, in course curriculums yet. It sort of was in the media atmosphere for at one time. But I remember thinking also, oh, what's going to happen? Where's this going to go? Where's the story going to go? Uh, the role of film. That's right. And as we were making the film, it actually came up that, okay, well, the court case is upcoming. A court date was scheduled right around the time when we finished. And the film was out there and it was playing in festivals. And a court date was scheduled. Um, that was last year. And um, just it would have been it would have been around September of last year. And, and they, um, at the last minute, um, without any advance notice, the, uh, the government... Um, uh, asked for a long postponement of the trial to review all the evidence again. So um, r- rather than addressing this in a way that would contribute to the kind of the timeliness of this justice sure. taking place, that would show kind of good good faith, yeah. uh, they wait till the last minute and then ask for a postponement. In other words, extending that timeline as long as possible, sure. you know, likely to, to, as you can imagine, to kind of hopefully get it out of their uh, off their off their plate while they were in office and, and before an election, right? Um, so, uh, so kind of the political considerations seem to take priority. Here's the heartening part. Let's get some good news as well right on, into right this on. story because the really interesting thing for us in making the film was to discover that there was. Um, now, at the time when this was all going down, I was actually living in Afghanistan, so this news, you know, was something that I only had in the periphery of my my kind of focus. So, okay. so you know, for me, it was really interesting to discover that in Montreal there was this real grassroots effort to bring him back by yeah. activists yeah. and maybe you were part of that uh-huh. and um that was really really heartening and really impressive to yeah. us just to, yeah. to hear about that yeah you know to talk to some of the activists about that uh-huh. um there was archival footage which we were able to obtain through yeah. um the the you know the goodwill of some of the the activists involved and yeah. it was just really uh, heartening to see that here's a grassroots activist organization that is that is self-organized and it's really um uh even when there's a threat of people being jailed or people being fined heavily yeah. for you know they were threatened people were threatened actually yeah. um with with uh, legal recourse people went ahead and 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 really helped him to come back by 
by buying a ticket, by lobbying the government, mm-hmm. by um, you know spreading the word about what was happening, and that mm-hmm. was that was super super heartening for us. Buying a ticket for Abdul Rasik to return from Sudan. Exactly. Yeah. So the government at that time had said that, okay, you know, uh, there was a lot of pressure. Okay, we will we will give him his passport, but we'll only give him his passport if he can prove that he has that he has passage, right? So that he already has a ticket in hand, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but at the same time. Um, he was in a situation where he had been blacklisted. Yeah. And so it was impossible for him to buy a ticket. So it was this kind of almost clan doy, you know, it was this kind of like um, coy way of, sure, of, sure. of kind of um, uh, giving a concession, but at the same time, substantially keeping him stranded in a place where his life was in danger. Uh, and for those who don't know the story, of course, he was in Sudan. He he was in prison multiple times, and as it came out in the in the court proceedings, um, uh, that was at the behest actually of of the Canadian government of CSIS. And so um, so his, his 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 he was in very real real danger during that time. So. But so heartening to see that the, the activist uh, efforts actually worked in this case. We're in studio with filmmaker Ariel Nasser about his film, The Long Way Home. Uh, thanks for sharing all that. Um, and as you mentioned, we can see that film online. Um, you're involved in numerous uh, film projects, of course, and there's one going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if you'd like to share a bit uh, about um, this was a short film that... Um, that we were talking about in terms of the case of uh, Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik. But uh, I believe that um, you have this new project. Um, That's so right, The Forbidden Real. The Forbidden Real, mm-hmm. which is at the International Documentary Film Festival of Amsterdam right now? or Well, yeah, we yeah. will premiere okay. on, um, on the 25th of November. So we're very excited. We're getting <laughs> nice. ready to go. Uh, Congratulations. F- thank you so yeah. much. The film is actually, so I actually have two screenings ahead of me this month because the film is um, really a journey through 20th century history through the lens of Afghan filmmakers. And so in um, essence, it's a collaboration with the Afghan Film Archive. And so uh, one of the things that we did, so as you watch the film, you see like really clips from from hundreds of, of films uh, that come out of this um, this archive, going all the way back to the early decades of the 20th century. So, you know, you see you see something like 60, 60 years worth of uh, footage, and um, we kind of trace the history of uh, Afghanistan through the Cold War, through regime change, through the Afghan-Soviet War, through the civil war that followed um, uh, up until the Taliban period when the films were almost destroyed, would have been destroyed were it not for a small group of very committed archivists and one um, kind of dissenting Taliban official who tipped them off about what was going to happen and help them to hide the films so that the films that were burned by the Taliban in the end, um, well, I'll, maybe it's a spoiler to say, but um, let's just say they came up with a creative way to save the films. And um, wow. so it's a very dramatic story, but it also takes you through this very familiar history. If you're somebody of my generation, you know, the 80s, um, sure, sure, sure. hearing about the uh, the war in Afghanistan. It takes you through a lot of that stuff, um, but from a different perspective. Wow. And it's very visceral because you see, it's one thing to hear it or see a photograph. It's another to see it really unroll, you know, in moving images, in often in full color, often in 35 millimeter, 
on the big screen. So that's wow. what we're really proud to, wow. to be able to bring um, with the help of all these Afghan filmmakers. And before we go to Amsterdam, we have to drop off um, a few uh, remaining film reels, which we brought uh, to Canada to actually digitize on the National Film Board's very uh, state-of-the-art equipment. Um, oh, so wow. we've been able to do that, and that's a contribution we're making back to the archive to bring back and say, here you go, here's some beautiful 2K, um, high-quality uh, you know, uh, uh, images for you that you can now distribute uh, nice. in another way, so that if ever these films are destroyed, we have a we have a backup. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Wow! Wow! The um, the quality of the images in these these film reels from Afghanistan over 30, 40 years it would mm -hmm. be they mm -hmm. must be amazing. A lot of them go back to the the seventies. Wow. Um, things picked up a little bit slowly there. So we have images from um, the twenties. We have images from the uh, 50s we have images nice. from the 60s and then in the 70s it picks up a little bit and in the 80s there's this kind of ironically in a way because you have the coming of communism and the coming of the Soviet um, presence in Afghanistan which in some ways was repressive in many ways was incredibly devastating for the country there's no question but um, also inside Kabul there was a kind of a renaissance of, of filmmaking because um, they pumped a lot of money into the national film uh, company. Also, it was the time of the first Afghan and only Afghan cosmonaut. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. A lot of very interesting things were happening. You had women in positions of power. Um, you you had um, uh, in Kabul. You had all kinds of infrastructure being built that still today is incredibly uh, useful. So mm -hmm. you know there are these. It's interesting to kind of look at the whole picture. Sure. Without, of course, dismissing the fact that um, the country was destroyed and, and nearly two million Afghans uh, were killed during that war, uh, most of whom were, were uh, civilians. No. But, wow. uh, but, but at the same time, to look at, okay, wh where did this come from? There was, there was actually a leftist movement in Afghanistan. Um, what was its nature and who was involved and what was it like for, for these, 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 uh, these creators? Um, because alongside the propaganda, you find these, these exceptions. I you find imagine. these auteur moments of, of cinema that imagine. are really beautiful. And of course, uh, the United States, through the CIA, did support. Uh, it was the Taliban at the time, uh, famously uh, portrayed in one of the Rambo films. Um, right. <laughs> right. That, well, the uh, Mujahideen, as you say, yeah. yeah. And, and you could say uh, there's an Afghan expression, uh, same donkey, different saddle, right? And later the Taliban emerged. Um, of course, uh, there's a complex history of, uh, you know, internecine uh, warfare struggle between those different um, groups. But yes, they supported extremism and they supported extremism. They supported the, the madrasas and, and the training camps in Pakistan that produced the, the Taliban in the first place, mm -hmm. along with supporting these. That was the Reagan administration largely, but also exactly. I think even the Carter, Carter? Carter administration exactly. in the late, in 1979, 1980. Exactly. I wanted to ask you, as a Canadian filmmaker um, working, living in Montreal, um, you have lived in Afghanistan also. Why was it important, um, Ariel, to work on this project? I mean, Canada obviously has played a major role in political, military, social life in Afghanistan since 2001, um, yeah. since the Khrushchev liberal government decided to join the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan after 9-11. Mm -hmm. um, working on this project in, in that sort of context. 
Yes. Why, why was it important for you? Yeah, you know, I, I had um, uh, just going back to uh, 2005. Sure. Um, I uh, had been um, struggling and, and wrestling with a lot of these questions, uh, the questions that you raise about uh, why Canada was in Afghanistan and what it was doing, what we were doing there. And, um, and as an Afghan Canadian, my father is Afghan, had a large Afghan family that um, now lives in, you know, mostly in Ontario. Um, you know, I was kind of grew up kind of struggling with these, these questions and, um, and f- ever since Canada entered the war, it had just be- reached a, uh, a level for me that I could no longer, um, kind of deal with without investigating further. So I went to Afghanistan. I started to make films around that time as well. I made a couple of other films. I made, um, a film called, uh, Good Morning Kandahar and a film called The Boxing Girls of Kabul and, um, uh, a few other shorter projects. I ended up producing this this project called Biskashi Boys, um, and we did we did a bunch of of projects uh, in Afghanistan. Myself, some collaborators, and eventually I came into contact with some of the um, Afghan filmmakers, the Afghan filmmakers who had been working there for decades. You know, mm-hmm. and hearing their stories, um, you know, I really wanted to do something that would pay homage to them. I started to see them in a way as um, uh, as an inspiration, as a, a kind of um, uh, a way of finding a way of making films about Afghanistan that wasn't entirely from a Western perspective. So, um, in part, my project started to try and showcase other creators, creators from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So, I made a project called Kabul Portraits, which is an interactive project with the, the National Film Board. And, um, and it just showcased Afghan storytellers. And so eventually I wanted to do a film that would show and honor the legacy of Afghan filmmakers that goes back, um, you know, back to mid last century. And the result is the forbidden reel. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank you. Um, is there somewhere that people could look online to get more information? I realize the film is premiering in, in Amsterdam, but I'm sure it will yeah. show up in Montreal at some it, point. It sure will. Um, we have a partnership with a number of broadcasters as well. So eventually nice. when, the, when the, obviously we'll have a North American premiere as well. Okay. Um, right now we're not sure where yet. Sure. Um, but after that, it will be on uh, TV Ontario. It'll be on Radio Canada International. It'll be on um, Knowledge Network, and it will be on Al Jazeera uh, English. So it will it will broadcast uh, nice. on all those. But um, if you're really interested in this topic, I, I really have to beg you and invite you to try to see the long version. There's a two-hour version, which uh, will play only, I think, on TVO. Uh, most of the other versions will be shorter versions. Okay. They will also carry a 52. So, But the long version has all the good stuff. Right on. Um we're, we've been in studio uh, today with filmmaker Ariel Nasser. Thank you so much. Thanks, Stefan. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for your interest. It. Yeah. Um, this has been Free City Radio on CKUT 90.3 FM. Um, we've heard about Ariel Nasser's different projects, The Forbidden Real and his film, The Long Way Home, that looked at the story of Abu Sufyan Abdul Razik. This has been Free City Radio on CKUT 90.3 FM. I've been your host, Stefan Christoph. Uh, thanks for joining us on this cool, cold, actually cold, cold morning. Cold. Yeah. Yeah, that's on your bike. You warm up. <laughs> oh, yeah, you bite here. <laughs> <laughs> wow, serious. Oh, but wow. get your winter tires on first. <laughs>
<laughs> do it. It's worth it. Right on, right on. So we we have some we have some transport um, uh, advice from our guests this morning too. Uh, I took the metro. That was okay, That's, but but no sun, as you were saying. You got to get the sun on your face. Yeah, yeah. Okay, respect to that. Um, and uh, do stay tuned here to CKUT People Powered Radio in Montreal. The XX Files is coming up right next. This has been Free City Radio.